Section 39 of The Living Animals of the World, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tom Mack, Tucson, Arizona. The Living Animals of the World, Volume 1. Mammals by Charles Lewis Cornish, Editor. Domesticated Horse, Asses, and Mules by W. P. Pycraft, A.L.S. F.Z.S. The Domesticated Horse Like the wild camels, genuine wild horses are very generally believed to be extinct. The vast herds which occur today in a wild state in Europe, America, and Australia are regarded, say those who believe in the extinction theory, as descended from domesticated animals which have run wild. So far as the American and Australian horses are concerned, this is no doubt true. But of the European stocks, it is by no means certain. For Dr. Nering, and he speaks with authority, assures us that the wild horses known as tarpans which occur on the steppes north of the Sea of Azov, between the river Dnieper and the Caspian, are veritable wild horses, the last remaining members of enormous herds which occurred in Europe before the dawn of civilization. These horses form no small part of the food of the savage races of men then inhabiting this continent. This we know because of the quantities of their remains found in the caves of the south of France, for instance, associated with the remains of the men who hunted them. Further evidence of this we have in the shape of crude engravings on pieces of bone and deer horns carved by the more artistic spirits amongst these early hunters. From these drawings we gather that the horse they hunted was small in size and heavy in build, with a large head and a rough shaggy mane and tail. A horse, in fact, almost identical with the above-mentioned tarpan. But long before historic records begin, these horses must have been domesticated. Man discovered that they could be even more useful alive than dead, and from that time forth, the horse became his inseparable companion. Quote, Caesar found the ancient Britons and Germans using war chariots drawn by horses, end quote. But the stock of domestic horses drawn from this tarpon breed appears to have died out almost entirely, the majority of horses now existing being probably descended of the native wild horses of Asia, the product of a still earlier domestication. In Egypt, the horse as a domestic animal seems to have been preceded by the ass, but about 1900 B.C. it begins to appear in the role of a war horse to draw chariots. Its use, indeed, until the Middle Ages was almost universally as a war horse. From the time of its domestication till today, the history of the horse has been one of progress. The care and forethought of the breeder have produced many varieties resulting in such extremes as the London Dray Horse, the Racer, and the Shetland Pony. The coloration of our various breeds of horses is generally without any definite marking, 
piebald and dappled being the nearest approach to a pattern. Occasionally, however, horses are found with a dark stripe along the back and sometimes with dark stripes on the shoulders and legs. Darwin, discovering a number of horses so marked belonging to different breeds, came to the conclusion that probably all existing races of horses were descended from a single, dun-colored, more or less striped, primitive stock, to which stock our horses occasionally revert. End quote. Quote, if we were not so habituated to the sight of the horse, end quote, says the late Sir William Flower, quote, as hardly ever to consider its structure, we should greatly marvel at being told of a mammal so strangely constructed that it had but a single toe on each extremity, on the end of the nail of which it walked or galloped. Such a conformation is without parallel in the vertebrate series, end quote. By the aid of fossils, we can trace out all the stages through which this wonderful foot has passed in arriving at its present state of perfection. We can see how it has become more and more beautifully adapted to fulfill the requirement demanded, a firm support to enable its owner to cover hard ground at great speed. The study of the structure of this foot and a comparison with the intermediate forms make it clear that this toe corresponds to the third finger or toe of the human hand or foot according as we compare the fore or hind limbs, and that its development was at the expense of the remaining toes, which gradually dwindled and disappeared, leaving in living one-toed horse only traces of the second and fourth toes in the shape of a pair of splint bones one on either side of the excessively developed third toe. The horses, it must be remarked, may be distinguished from the asses by the fact that the tail in the former is clothed with long hair throughout. In the latter, long hair springs only from the sides and end, forming a tuft. Furthermore, the horses have a remarkable horny excrescence resembling a huge black and flattened wart on each hind leg just below the hock or heel joint. This excrescence is commonly known as the chestnut. Its function is unknown. A similar pair of chestnuts occurs on the inner side of the forelimb just above the wrist or knee, as it is generally called the chestnuts of the forelimb, occur also in the asses but not those of the hind limb, the Arab horse. This magnificent and justly celebrated animal is chosen first for consideration because it is probably a direct descendant of the original wild breed, the Asiatic wild horse. How far back the domestication of this breed began will probably never be exactly known. Till the third century after Christ, the Arabs were almost certainly camel riders. But by the 6th century of our era, we find them in possession of a breed of horses which they regarded with great reverence and spoke of as an heritage from their forefathers. They were probably introduced from the Caucasus or Asia Minor. The Arab horse found its way into Europe, perhaps accompanied by an allied breed, the Barb. 
with the Arab invasion of Spain in the 8th and 9th centuries, leaving traces of its sojourn in the Andalusian and the French Limousin. But the great value of the Arab blood was not appreciated till armor ceased to be used, the excessive weight of this demanding a horse of heavy build. The Arab does not appear to have been introduced into England till the 17th century, but the result of that introduction, as we shall see presently, has been fraught with tremendous consequences. In its native land, it appears to have been bred chiefly for the purposes of warfare. The success with which the breeder's judicious selection has been rewarded is plainly seen in the wonderful powers of endurance on long marches, so that at the end of a raid, the animal is still fresh enough either for flight, if necessary, or for a final rush on a retreating enemy. Besides, Arabs possess great courage and are frugal both in the matter of food and drink. As a racehorse, one enthusiast assures us the Arab is superior to every other natural breed. He is beaten only by his half-breed offspring, the English racehorse. But this seems to be rather an overestimate. The color of the Arab varies. White is the most highly esteemed, but bay and chestnut are common, black being rare. Strange as it may seem, the white breed is never born white. The great affection for the Arab horse is proverbial. The following story is certainly worth repeating. Quote, the whole stock of an Arab of the desert consisted of a mare. The French consul offered to purchase her in order to send her to his sovereign Louis the Fourteenth. The Arab would have rejected the proposal, but being miserably poor with scarcely a rag to cover him, his wife and children starving, he was tempted greatly. At length he yielded. He brought the mare to the consul's house and stood leaning on her neck and looking now at the gold and now at the horse. The gold was good to look upon. It would make him rich for life. Turning at last to his favorite, he said, To whom is it I am going to yield thee up? To Europeans who will tie thee close, who will beat thee, who will make thee miserable? Return with me, my beauty, my jewel, and rejoice the hearts of my children. At the last of these words he sprang upon her back and was in a few moments out of sight. End quote. The Barb This is an African breed which, like the generality of the African horses, is distinguished from those of Asia by its long limbs and small girth at the loins, thus resembling the foals of other breeds. It displays great powers of enduring hunger and thirst, and is fleet with a high and graceful action. The barb takes its name from its native land, Barbary. It is a larger breed than the Arab. Levant and Persian horses. These are very closely allied to the Arab, but generally of larger size, and in southern Persia at least, less delicately framed. The Turkoman horses are related to those of northern Persia. The English Racehorse This animal is the product of very careful selection 
and gradual improvement of an original native breed extending over several centuries. Long since, so long ago as the reign of James I, it had reached a high degree of excellence. Upon this native stock has been built up by the infusion of Arab blood, the swiftest horse which the world has ever known, the British thoroughbred. Of this breed it may be stated, says Mr. Allison, quote, that every such animal in the stud book of the present day in this country or any other descends from one of three original eastern sires, the Darley, Arabian, and the Burley Turk, or the Guldafin Arabian, end quote. This is an extremely interesting fact and constitutes a lasting monument to the enterprise and acumen of the British horse breeder. The Byerly Turk hailed from the Levant and was introduced by Captain Byerly about 1689. From the Byerly Turk came Herod, the most celebrated of his descendants, who has given rise to the Herod line, which today is but feebly represented. The Godolphin Arabian or Godolphin Barb was born about 1724. From his grandson Matcham is derived the Matcham line, which is also today bordering on extinction. The Darley Arabian carries us back to the reign of Queen Anne. Flying Childers and Bartlett's Childers are directly descended from him, and from the latter is descended Eclipse, the fastest horse which the turf has ever known. It is interesting to note that the descendants of the Eclipse line enormously outnumber those of the other two lines which we have considered. Of his descendants, one of the most illustrious is Stockwell, who has been described as the most extraordinary sire of all time, whose blood is coming more than ever to the front. The Trotting Horse This is an American breed. The Trotting Horse is a combination of Barb and Arab on an English stock. Most of the trotting and pacing horses of America may be traced to an English thoroughbred, Messenger who was imported into America in 1780. This horse became the founder of the greatest trotting family in the world. The speed attained by some of the fastest trotters is wonderful, a mile being covered in some three or four seconds over two minutes. Russia is the only European country with a distinct breed of trotter, the Orloff. This breed was made by crossing Arab and English horses with the native races. The Orloff has not the speed of the American horse, but has greater powers of endurance. The trotting season in Russia is winter, the races taking place on the ice. The Pacer is not a distinct breed, but so-called on account of its curious method of trotting. In trotting, the left fore and right hind legs strike the ground at the same moment. In pacing, the fore and hind leg of the same side move in unison. Some wild animals, as the giraffe, are pacers. Quote, many American horses, end quote, says Mr. Winans, quote, are able to move with either action 
a set of lighter shoes often sufficing to convert a trotter into a pacer, end quote. Pacing is a swifter mode of motion than trotting. The record time stands at one mile in one minute, 39 and one half seconds, as again the trotting record of one mile in two minutes, three and three quarter seconds. The hunter. This is also not a distinct breed, as some suppose. Any good riding horse may be used as a hunter. Hunters have been made by infusing the blood of the racehorse with native breeds. The chief requirements are a muscular neck and chest, with a rather short body and shorter and stouter legs than the racehorse. From the half-bred hunter, we pass by insensible gradation to the ordinary saddle and carriage horses. The ideal carriage horse, however, is more of a distinct breed than the hunter, and known as the Cleveland Bay. It has been produced by mingling the blood of a thoroughbred with that of a horse of stouter make than that of the hunter type. The record broad jump for the hunter we might mention in passing is variously stated to be from 33 to 37 feet. The Shetland Pony. This is a native of the Shetland Islands and remarkable for its small size, docility, and hardihood. It is allowed to run nearly wild and made to forage almost entirely for itself. In the winter it grows a coat of great length, which soon becoming matted forms a most effective protection against cold and wet. The Dartmoor, Exmoor, and New Forest are likewise small breeds, but lack the symmetry and beauty of the Shetland. Cart Horses Under this head are included all the large, heavily built draft horses. These are of European origin and without intermixture of foreign, Asiatic, or African blood. In England, the most important breeds are the Black or Shire Horse, the Clydesdale, and the Suffolk Punch. These are wonderful instances of the results of selective breeding toward a definite end. Large size accompanied by great physical strength and powers of endurance. To accomplish this, speed has to be sacrificed. Asses and Mules Asses Domestic ass, so common today in these islands, is of African origin and has, moreover, departed but little, either form or color, from the wild race. This is probably due to the fact that the ass has not been subjected in this country to that process of rigorous and careful selection that the horse has undergone. We have no record of its first introduction to these islands, but it was certainly known in the reign of Ethelred, though it was a rare animal. Later it appears to have died out and to have been reintroduced in the reign of Elizabeth, but it has never become popular. This is unfortunate. Its sterling qualities have never been really appreciated by us. Spain, Italy, and Malta have all succeeded in raising some fine breeds. The United States, however, produced the finest of all 
in animals standing some 15 or 16 hands, 5 feet or 5 feet 4 inches high. Mules. The term mule, strictly speaking, should be reserved for the offspring of the male ass and the mare. The offspring of the opposite cross is called the hinny. Mules are valued on account of their great powers of endurance and their sure-footedness. The finest and handsomest are bred in Spain, the United States, and Northwest India. It is interesting to note that mules exhibit a strong tendency to revert to the dun-colored and striped coloration believed to belong to the primitive horses. The spinal and shoulder stripes which sometimes appear in horses, and more frequently in asses, occur yet more frequently in mules. The legs of the mules appear particularly liable to revert to this striped coloration in the United States. It is said 9 out of 10 being so marked. End of section 39. Recording by Tom Mack.